Hello and welcome to the Lux Research Podcast. I'm Katrina Westerhoff alongside my colleague Yang Cheng Yu, both with the Energy Group here at Lux Research. And on today's episode, we're going to be talking about the energy landscape in the U.S. under Trump. Hi, Katrina. Absolutely. I mean, as you mentioned, in our coverage of the global energy transition, one of the largest topics that our clients continue to be interested in is the role that U.S. will play in the global energy landscape moving forward. But even more so now today, and how Trump's presidency might have an immediate impact on the near term. I think a great starting point for us today is actually to talk about the report the administration released at the start of the year titled An America First Energy Plan, where it laid out a list of goals developed throughout the campaign in 2016 regarding what they believe is the best approach for domestic energy policy. Judging by several of the actions so far this year, there are some hints at where the priorities are, largely in favor of the oil and gas industry. Absolutely. And that's that's true. But what's interesting here is that Trump's political agenda is not necessarily going to translate into sort of the path for the industry. Um, we actually earlier this year took a closer look at some of the Trump statements and, and the America First Energy Plan, um, as well as what's happening in the industry as a whole. And in our analysis, we found that despite all of the rhetoric, Trump's energy policy really has a, a pretty limited reach um, in terms of what's actually going to happen in energy. Yeah. And one of those areas where he really has a limited reach is the oil and gas industry. Um, while he does have the support of many oil and gas companies, as well as been putting out more relaxed regulations on oil and gas, specifically around expiration, um, the fact that the oil and gas industry has struggled recently is the low prices that have been dictated um, by the surplus of supply from fracking, horizontal drilling, and not really the politics or regulations that he has perceived as been hindering the, the growth of the industry. Um, and that's nothing new. Um, so a lot of the oil majors are really already making their steps to move away from exploration. Uh, for instance, uh, companies like Shell have divested several of their assets uh, from the North Sea, and many of the companies who used to operate in Canada have also divested their assets there as well. And what we really see, though, is oil and gas companies are really going to take advantage of what they already have. Um, a lot of the innovations we're seeing is around advanced sensors, big data, um, analytics, automation, and um, that's really going to be the main driver um, in the oil and gas industry. But one of the interesting things I felt in the America First Energy Plan was, unlike oil and gas, which got a lot of attention from Trump in his campaign, as well as that report, renewables and energy storage were largely ignored throughout everything. Yeah, that's that's definitely true and, and really interesting. There's really no explicit mention of solar or wind or energy storage in, in the proposal itself. Um, and, you know, I, I think that, that some, some folks were a little bit concerned about what might happen with renewables, but really the, uh, the influence that uh, Trump's policy can have on renewables is, is pretty well bucketed into just a couple of areas. When we look at how renewables develop, a lot of this stuff is pushed at the state level rather than at the federal level. And the reality is that 37 U.S. states already have either a renewable portfolio standard or some voluntary targets in place that have them pushing renewables themselves. This is really outside of federal jurisdiction. So if we were really to zoom in on the things that Trump can control or, or does have some influence over them, 
over. Um, one of the key ones here is uh, budgeting. So budgeting for the DOE, Trump's original budget proposal earlier in the year um, had proposed a 5.6% reduction in the DOE's budget, um, as well as eliminating funding for ARPA-E, which funds a lot of uh, early stage energy uh, projects, um, alongside really dramatic cuts to the Sunshot program, which funds a lot of uh, early stage solar research in, in uh, things like uh, early stage uh, solar generation technology, system integration, module development, um, and even just a, a couple months ago had just awarded another $46 million in, in funding there. Um, so slashing the, the budgets and, and defunding some of these programs is one of the areas where um, we re really will have the potential to see a big impact. Um, the other two that I'd highlight, um, one is uh, the International Trade Commission is, is right now investigating the possibility of putting a tariff on imported solar cells in the U.S. And this is in response to low prices coming in, especially from, um, from, from Asian manufacturers, coming into the U.S. And, and making it difficult for domestic manufacturers to compete. We saw Suniva uh, um, file for bankruptcy earlier this year. Um, and. Uh, and, and so there's really potential for an impact there um, in terms of, of putting some, some tariffs in place on imported modules and, and cells. Um, and then the other thing that I'd flag here is uh, Perry's study on grid reliability run through the Department of Energy. Um, so back in April, uh, um, Perry uh, asked for a study on grid reliability, particularly around the concern that uh, renewable subsidies were responsible for retirements in baseload power plants like coal and nuclear. Um, that study was actually just released last week, um, just, just formally the final version came out, um, and came to the conclusion that no renewable subsidies were not responsible for retirements in baseload plants, which was largely the industry consensus as well, um, and also recommended some, uh, some, some changes to the way wholesale markets would be structured in the future to uh, accommodate for or plan for grid reliability better. But on the whole, wasn't explicitly um, out there negative about, about renewables. I think lots of people are sort of interpreting the study in, in many different ways, and it seems like there's outrage on either side, both from the renewables advocates and from the, the fossil fuel advocates. But on the whole, the, 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 um, the study didn't really push in very, very strongly in one direction or another. But while we're seeing renewables continue to, to grow, grow rapidly, that sort of brings us to the point of coal and what's going on with coal. Um, you know, and, and a lot of Trump's uh, campaigning was around the idea that he could bring back coal um, and, and that a lot of the challenges for coal have really been driven by renewables. You're absolutely correct. Um, I mean, a lot of the, during his campaign, uh, Trump spent much of his time in, in coal country um, campaigning and giving his support for the coal industry and how to bring back the coal industry to its greater years of, of the past. And um, one of the big things surrounding that was he bought into the idea of clean coal. Um, the idea of carbon capture and the way of the idea of turning coal into a cleaner form of power generation. Uh, unfortunately, while Trump may be able to put in policies to support the coal industry in terms of uh, water regulations near coal mines and so forth, which may kind of stimulate activities in coal mining, the fact of the matter is coal's demise has less to do with its environmental aspect and it has more to do with the fact that natural gas prices have diminished drastically and uh, in actuality in 2016 natural gas became the greater source of power generation and electricity in the United States uh, surpassing coal for the first time um, so even if clean coal it was a possibility which which it's not because as you can see just earlier this year the Kemper County project um, which is sort of the first flagship commercial scale 
clean coal uh, project uh, basically shut down and, and we'll start using natural gas at this um, feedstock for, for power generation. And a significant portion of that was due to the economics of capturing carbon. And one reason that we talk about carbon capture quite a bit at Lux is there's still a great amount of interest around carbon capture. Uh, the idea of CO2 mitigation, uh, taking CO2 from the air, be it from a concentrated stream such as a smokestack, or even taking it directly out of ambient air, uh, there's still a continued interest in the idea of carbon capture and subsequently carbon conversion. Um, however, we still believe that the economics of capture itself is uh, still far from being economically competitive in today's market. Um, so, for instance, if you look at some of the existing carbon markets that uh, are around the globe today, uh, such as the EU carbon market, the California market, um, these carbon credits generally trade between $7 USD per metric ton to maybe $12 USD per metric ton. And the problem here is carbon capture itself um, has a, a large range in terms of price going from anywhere between $60 USD per metric ton upwards to $250 USD per metric ton. So there's very little value proposition right now to pursue carbon capture. Uh, however, the downstream aspect of it and the high potential of converting it to molecules and building blocks for chemicals, fuels, as well as materials uh, is an area that we believe should be closely monitored, monitored and can continually looked at um, from a, in a long-term lens though. Um, however, not to transition too far away from Trump's uh, ability to control and um, promote the coal industry, um, it seems that it's very clear that this attempt to save fossil fuel is, is really a lost cause. It's, it's interesting here to see you know, Trump trying to bring back something um, to support an industry. However, economically, it is unable to compete. Um, but while a lot of his policies do try to support fossil fuels in several different ways, there are some interesting and indirect support that's going to be happening um, to offshore wind. Right, for sure. And, and I think this is a, a particularly interesting point to make, that the same sort of slashing of regulations that's benefiting the oil, offshore oil and gas industry is going to come and benefit the offshore wind industry as well um, by easing some of the siting and installation requirements. So we've been seeing a sort of a steady increase in, in offshore wind leasing activity in the U.S. over the last four years or so, um, and we expect that to continue to grow under Trump. Um, and and uh, frankly, one of the things that's really interesting here is that oil and gas companies that have experience in offshore have a really got a good opportunity to pivot and, and work on these offshore wind projects because of where their expertise is. So this really could be a good opportunity for offshore oil and gas companies that are interested in making a play in renewables. Um, so I think it's it's pretty evident based on the the examples that we've talked about today that that Trump has overall favored the oil and gas industry um, through his regulations proposal, but there's sort of some limits to the ability that he has to actually have an impact here. Yeah, absolutely, and but that doesn't really mean an end to U.S. opportunities beyond fossil fuels. I don't believe, and I think you'll probably agree as well. Um, you've pointed out several examples in in the renewables. Uh, and storage as well as offshore wind opportunities that still exist um, in the U.S. and I think will still continue to thrive uh, despite some of the regulatory hurdles or lack of support that they may face. Definitely. Um, well, thank you again for listening to the Lux Research Podcast. Again, I'm Katrina Westrop alongside my colleague Young Cheng Yu. 
please rate, subscribe, and share our content, which can be found over on luxresearchinc.com, YouTube, or a podcast service of your choosing. If you have any questions pertaining to the subject matter within this episode, feel free to email marketing at luxresearchinc.com, all of which you can find in the description below.